welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Yeah, welcome, Angie, would you? <laughs> oh, wow, this is, I sit in the front, so I don't ever see any of you back there, so this is a little intimidating. Um, I am Angie Perkins. My husband and I have been attending Reliance for a long time. In fact, Aaron was my youth pastor growing up, which probably makes you feel really old. <laughs> um, but God gave me this word, anointing, about a year ago. We, um, in March last year, they had uh, the citywide prayer, and God said, I want you to anoint my church. And I was like, well, that's really cool, God. I don't know what that means at all. And I told Aaron about it, and then um, soon after COVID hit and everything shut down, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess that wasn't a word for me. And I grew up in a church where it into me. I want you to anoint my church. I want you to anoint my church. And I grew up in a church where we didn't really talk about anointing, you know, like um, it was kind of one of those things, we didn't practice anointing. It was one of those things that was just kind of thrown out there like, and the Holy Spirit anoint you, and it was left at that. And like, okay, I guess I get that. So this last year, God's been working that word anointing into my heart and really telling me and teaching me what that means. And I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm not a preacher, so the only way I know how to tell this to you guys is through teaching, so bear with me on that if you don't like that. <laughs> But the Hebrew word for anointing is mashak, and I'm probably butchering that, but it means to smear or rub with oil. In essence, anointing is this act of placing oil on someone or something. We see this happen in Genesis 28 when Jacob has his dream about the stairway into heaven. He wakes up and he props up the pillar that he used as a pillow, and he rubs oil on it. But when the Bible references anointing, It's often more than just placing oil on something. It's also a symbol of that person or thing being set apart, being empowered, anointing or covering. It's a covering, if you will. And probably the greatest anointing or covering that we can receive is through the Holy Spirit. And that's what today is all about. It's not about putting oil on your head. It's about King David being the Holy Spirit's anointing in your life. And we see this happen with King David. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, the first time David's anointed, it says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil, olive oil that he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. So first we have this anointing with oil from Samuel, and then we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So there's this connection between the oil and the anointing with spirit. It's, it's much like communion. There's a physical act of taking in the elements that represents the spiritual act of taking in Christ. Or baptism, there's a physical act of going under that water and raising up in a spiritual way of Christ's new child. So when we approach God ready for anointing in a physical sense, we'll often meet him in a spiritual sense. And it's not just a one-and-done thing. Um, if you lives, call for different anointings. You're going to be in a different season than I am, and that's okay because God has anointing always for all of us. So, like I said, I'm a teacher, so there's some verses from the Old Testament I want us to kind of focus in on today and see if we can learn more about God's anointing. And we're going to read from Exodus 40, and this, I'll give you a little preview. This comes at the end of Exodus, the very end of Exodus, and the Israelites have left Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, 
It's before they've made it to the promised land, and God says, I want you to build me a tabernacle, and I want you to do all of these things. And he goes through a long list of things that he wants Moses to do. And so when Moses has finished all of these things, God says to him in verse 12, take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all its furnishings to get sorry, to consecrate them and make them holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and its utensils to consecrate them. Then the altar will become absolutely holy. Next, anoint the wash basin and its stand to consecrate them. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. Dress Aaron with his sacred garments and anoint him, consecrating him to serve me as a priest." Then present his sons and dress them in their tunics. Anoint them as you did their father, so they may also serve me as priests. With their anointing, Aaron's descendants are set apart for the priesthood forever, from generation to generation. So as I study scripture, if I don't understand the reason for why something is in the Bible, I'll ask God. See, I, I understand this scripture from a historical point of view. That, you know, this is what the, the Israelites and Moses went through going through the desert. But I didn't understand how they related to us today. Why is it so important for me and you to know about Moses anointing the tabernacle? And I began to ask God this question, and he asked me, what did I tell Moses to anoint? Go back and read it again. So I read it again. And I found that there were four things that God said to anoint. He said, anoint the tabernacle with all of its furnishings. Anoint the altar with all of its utensils. Anoint the wash basin. And then anoint Aaron along with his sons. So why those four things? That's what we're going to look into today earthly dwelling place, tabernacle with its furnishings. So the tabernacle was the earthly dwelling place of God, and that's a pretty big deal. I mean, this, this was before the Holy Spirit was set out. This was before Jesus died and we had access to the Holy Spirit. So for God to dwell among his people and his protection went with him. It meant that God's guidance his blessing and his protection went with them wherever they went. And so the tabernacle was this place that God had commissioned Moses to make, to build for his presence to live among his people. He chose them. And it was mobile so that as they traveled through the wilderness and into the promised land, they could take God's dwelling place with them. I'm not going to go into all the details of how the tabernacle was laid out, but I'll give you... um, just the basics of it. It consisted of three sections. So there was the outer courtyard where all the sacrifices were made. And then there was the holy place or the outer sanctuary. And it was inside of a a tent. And then behind the holy place was a curtain that blocked off the holy of holies or the inner sanctuary. And this is where God's Ark of the Covenant rested. But the big thing that I want you to know when we talk about the tabernacle was that it was holy. Holy. It was a powerful and terrifying place because God's whole presence rested in that place. Of course, we now know that the Holy of Holies is in us today, that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was released to all believers everywhere. So we carry that Holy of Holies in us. So when we hear and read about Moses anointing the tabernacle, we see a glimpse of what God does for us today. 
in essence, were that commissioned work for God. God commissioned you. He called you. He wanted you. Have you ever thought of that before? He chose you as his house. He chose you. He chose me. Our bodies are set apart, but we're made in this mobile way so that wherever we go, we carry God's spirit with us. That through Jesus, our separate lives are united and joined into one. That's why we say the church isn't a building, it's the people. Because we're the ones who carry Christ everywhere. Ephesians 2, 20 through 21 tells us, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And since the task is holy, we need to look at our bodies and what we do with them as set apart as holy. They're powerful and terrifying things because God's spirit is residing inside of us. In fact, my favorite verse from the whole part of this anointing story comes um, at the end of it in verse 33. And it says, so at last Moses finished the work, then the cloud, God's presence, covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God wants to fill us. He wants us to carry the glory of him inside of us. He wants to anoint us for that calling. Okay, so number two is he tells us to anoint the altar and its utensils. Now, the altar served this function of atoning Israel for their sins. Upon it, they would sacrifice the lives of goats and bulls, sheep, doves, those sorts of things. And then they would also do incense and liquid and grain offerings on it. And when we hear this word sacrifice, it's not a concept that we really understand in Western culture. We haven't really grown up with sacrifices. We've grown up with pita. It's a little different. (laughs) So the closest example we see when it comes to sacrifices are these cruel pagan and wicked practices, mutilation and decapitation of animals. Um, This is our understanding of what sacrifices mean today. It's something baseless and cruel. But God didn't call Israel for the sheer purpose didn't call Israel to sacrifice for the sheer purpose of killing animals. He did it as a form of justice, of grace and love. Remember we said earlier that the tabernacle was God's dwelling place here on earth. Well, we need to understand that God, if he was going to live among us, he couldn't be corrupted by sin, especially in his tabernacle. God's not... God's disgusted by sin. Sin is the culmination of everything that God is not. So he set about a way for Israel to atone for those sins. What we see is this gruesome act of sacrifice Israel saw for the consequences of their sin. And let me explain how this happened. Every time they would sacrifice an animal, the person who was asking for that atonement would have to lay their hand on that animal's head and watch them be killed in front of them. It wasn't something that was desired by any means. It was, it was a reminder of, of the weight of, of what they were doing. Sacrifices were a way of providing, um, of, of providing compensation and a ransom for their lives. It wasn't perfect, but it covered them, covered that sin. 
And it gave them a way of, re of repentance and purification. You know, sin will always beget more sin. And so sacrifices kind of put an in, tried to put an end to that. It, was, it, 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 it tried to cut that cycle off from happen, happening. So how does this relate to us today? Well, we all know that Jesus gave his life as our ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 10, um, starting in verse 1, says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing. For the worshipers would have worshipped. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it's not possible for the blood of, goats, of bulls and goats to take away sin. And then jumping to verse 12. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin. Good for all time. And then verse 14. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. When God says anoint the altar, it represents our salvation story. It is the justification Jesus made for us. That we are purified. That we're cleansed and made holy because of Christ. It gives us an opportunity to go into that holy place and worship God. Jesus' blood covers us. But also when we talk about the altar, what it also represents is the things we lay down for God, the good things and the bad things, you know, our time, our energies and efforts, the gifts and giftings that God has given us, those things that we lay down, but also the bad things, things like our sin and our habits that, that keep us from God, anything that we lay down as a sacrifice to God, God wants to anoint that, that ability in our lives. Romans 12.1 tells us, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Our bodies represent the living and holy sacrifice that Jesus made, and God wants to anoint that in us. All right, the third thing God tells us, or tells Moses to anoint, is the wash basin. And out of all of the things that God says to anoint, this was kind of the one that I didn't, I knew the least about. I just figured, is this where they wash their dirty dishes? I don't know what that means. Um, but God has a lot to say about the wash basin. Um, now, the wash basin, or, or laver, um, was this large bronze dish that was placed between the altar and the curtain of the inner, um, the inner uh, holy of holies. And it was filled with water to the, um, that the priests would go to the, the altar, and any time that they went to the, um, the, t the tent, God said, you need to wash your hands and your feet in this, in this basin. They had to cleanse themselves. And there's something really cool when we look at the wash basin. In Exodus 38.8, we're told that the basin was made from mirrors that were donated by the women who served at the entrance of the tabernacle. Isn't that neat? They were made out of mirrors. 
And they didn't have mirrors back then like we do with, with glass and lead. All of their mirrors were made out of bronze. And so they would hammer out bronze and polish it smooth until they were reflective. So the implication here is that this basin was reflective. And so every time the priest would go up to it, they would see themselves in it. They would see the blood that was splattered all over their white garments from the sacrifices they made. And it served as this humble way of reminding them of the important weight they carried for Israel. So how can we relate to this wash basin? Number one, it represents our daily pursuit of Christ. It's a place of self-reflection. wants to do with the wash basin? Our prayer when we study God's word this is what God wants to do with the wash basin. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. As we behold him, we become more and more like him. We hand over our guilt, our sin, comparisons, condemnation, pride, everything that reflects back to us in the mirror, and he gives us freedom. Kate Battistelli has this really cool quote, and it says, it's a holy handoff, a sacred substitution. We give him sin, and he gives sanctification. Our repentance ushers his forgiveness. So number two, the wash basin symbolizes Um, our job as God's hands and feet. Remember, that's the two things that God said to wash in the basin were our hands and feet. And as Christ's hands and feet, we need to wash ourselves and cleanse ourselves for the work that he has ahead of us. Number three, it reminds us of the blood that covers us. We're not covered with with goat. And number four, it represents the living and it sanctifies us for all time. And number four, it represents the living water that we carry in us. Our baptism the new life, the word of God that's bubbling up inside of us, that, that, that life and water that God talks about, or Jesus talks about to the woman at the well, the living water, that's what's represented in the wash basin. So God wants to anoint those in us. He wants to re- anoint that quiet time, that reflection, the cleansing, the new life that he has in you. And lastly, God says, I want you to anoint Aaron and his sons. And so a little recap, Aaron is the brother of Moses, and him and his sons are set up as the priests. But it wasn't always meant to be that way. Um, There was at one point in time that God wanted all of Israel to be his priests. If you look at Exodus 19.6, it says, And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. God's intention was for all all of Israel to serve him as priests, for the whole world to be blessed. You know, that's what he promised Abraham, is that through your your offspring, the whole world would be blessed. But the problem happened when Israel started to sin, and they put up the golden calf, and all of these sins began to taint them, and God said, I can't have all of them as my priests. And so he set up Aaron and his sons to to that duty alone. (sighs) But that promise was always there. God always wanted that kingdom of priests. And so when Jesus died on the cross, we became that royal priesthood. We got to see the fruition of what that meant. 1 Peter 2.5 tells us, what's more, you are his holy priests. 
Through the meditations of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Again, Peter says in verse 9, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. This is our role in serving God. It's our mission work here on on earth. Guys, both here and abroad, God has a calling for you, a true life calling for you as his priest. And you might be saying, I'm not a priest. I'm not out there. God has a calling for you if you are in the nation of God, if you consider yourself a Christian. God has a calling for you as a priest. We're set apart for this. God wants to anoint us in this. And we're not doing this alone. We have Jesus as our high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. If you're out there and you're saying, I'm not a priest. I don't know how to serve God in this. Guess what? Every time you go and walk in that anointing, he's going to give you grace and mercy to help you in that calling. Okay, so let's kind of just recap. There's four things God says that he wants anointed. And there's four things in you God wants to anoint. He wants to anoint you as his tabernacle. He wants to anoint all of us as his holy vessel, that we carry him mobily throughout the world. He wants to anoint us as the altar, as the symbol of Christ's sacrifice here on earth, as well as the own sacrifices we make and lay down for Christ. He wants to anoint you as the wash basin, the reflection of Jesus, the living water and the hands and feet of God here on earth. And he wants to Anoint us in the priesthood as missionaries and representatives of Christ. So when we accept God's anointing in these areas, we're set apart, we're empowered, and we're protected by God. We receive his covering, but not just with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. So I've got one more thing to share with you, and then we're going to ask anyone who feels called for that anointing to please come forward. Um, but before I do that, I just want to share this one story. In Jesus' day, anointings had their practical uses too, or oil had their practical uses. It was a dry and dusty environment, and so people would put oil on their skin to help with the cracking and the chapped skin. And it would help soften the skin for being like a special guest. And Jesus kind of mentions this in in Luke 7 when he says, "You, You did not put oil on my head, but she poured alabaster jar of perfume. Reference to the woman who came in and and weeped over his feet and poured over the alabaster jar of perfume. But oil also served medicinal purposes. In fact, my favorite medicinal purpose that oil served was shepherds would use oil to cover the heads of their flock. Now, that sounds really strange, but let me explain. In Jesus' day, they did not have veterinarians. They did not have medicine. They did not have frontline. And so animals and livestock were exposed to natural elements, and that meant bugs. 
And in and of itself, that doesn't sound really bad, like, okay, it's just bugs, what's the big deal? Well, the problem is, if left unchecked, gnats and other bugs would begin to crawl into the noses and mouths and ears of these sheep, and they would lay their eggs inside of them. And in the case of, of the nose and the ears in particular, the larvae that would hatch from those eggs would crawl into the brains of the sheep and begin to feast on them. That's really disgusting, I know so that the sheep would begin to bash their heads into rocks to try to alleviate the pain. They would smash open their own brains, or their own skull, killing themselves in the process. To prevent this, shepherds would cover the heads and any open wounds of their sheep with oil. The oil acted as this barrier. Any pests that would land on it would either slip off or get stuck and drown. And shepherds did this daily. It required this constant attention, which meant that they not only had to know their sheep, but have a relationship with their sheep. They had to be able to get close and interact with each of their sheep. That's why when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, he's telling us how close of a relationship he has with us. Like biblical day shepherds, our good shepherd approaches us daily with anointing. He knows us. He knows you. He draws close to you. He wants to minister to your needs and cover you with his spirit. If we run from him, the pests and troubles and inflictions of this world will attack us. They'll lay siege and they'll drive us mad. They'll cry and deceit. They'll crawl into our brain and begin to torment us with thoughts and lies and deceit. But when we draw close to God, he covers our minds so that the attacks of the enemy are just null and void. Yeah, we're going to hear those buzzings from time to time and have general annoyance, but they're not going to be able to penetrate our minds. They're not going to be able to penetrate our emotions or our souls. That's what anointing is about. It's about following God, approaching him, trusting him to lead us, being set apart as his people, as his dwelling place, his flock. It's about drawing close to God for protection, comfort, strength, peace, and unfailing love. That's why we anoint, to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to have God's covering as we go about as his dwelling place. So today we're going to invite you to partake in that anointing. We're going to invite you to come forward and receive physical anointing in anticipation of spiritual anointing. You know, maybe it's for direction. Maybe you just don't know where you're going right now. Maybe you need anointing in your, or perhaps you want anointing over your, it's the only one who can save that right now. Or perhaps you want anointing over your work. It can be for any number of things God's calling you forward towards. Maybe it's for healing. James 5.14 says, are any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And for anyone who's out there and just not comfortable doing this yet, maybe you need a social distance still, you can absolutely do all of this at home. Nothing we do here is restricted to this building. But I do want to say this, before you come forward or before you practice this at home, make sure you're coming forward with a ready heart. Matthew 10:16 says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep 
Lord Jesus says sheep, guys, in the midst of the wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That means we need to be prudent and mindful of not only what we are asking God to do, but the cost of doing so. Just like Aaron said, you know, the church in China, we need to be mindful of what we're asking God to do here. Like shrewd snakes, if you have any sin that you... And we have to be innocent like doves, meaning if you have any sin that you need to ask forgiveness for, we should do that first before we come forward. The Holy Spirit lives otherwise. And, any, and unable to manifest itself in our lives otherwise. So we need to be constantly mindful of what we're asking God to do and innocent of living in sin. In those conditions, the Holy Spirit's going to be able to thrive in your life. And listen, if you're out there and you're still like, eh, I don't know if it's for me. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that or I'm not sure if God's calling me to that. I just want to leave you with these words from Erwin McManus. He says, It's easier to guide a wild stallion than a dead horse. Listen, God's going to be able to tame you. He's going to be able to take all of those wild things in you and bring it into order. But if you're a dead horse, you're just a dead horse. You're not going to do anything. Let's use this as an opportunity for God to tame our hearts, to enter into our lives and be his dwelling place today. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.